The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith. With my partner, business partner Ethan Broga, who is a certified financial planner and uh, has a master's degree in financial planning. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey, Ken. Good to see you again. Good to be here. It's a sunny and somewhat lovely day here in Seattle. We're broadcasting live today from the uh, Seattle Tower. Indeed. No, the uh, Empirical Tower. That's what you like to say. I do Um, like saying that. Yeah. So if you want to call in during the show... You can reach us live at 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, or shoot an email to us at uh, contact at empiradio.com, contact at empiradio.com. The show is designed to share with you prudent investing and financial planning techniques to help you make smarter financial decisions. Ethan, before we get started... Going through today's uh, news, financial headlines, mm-hmm. um, strategies, maybe you could tell our listeners how we can help. Yeah, there's lots of ways we can help. Um, gosh, I mean, if you're an, indiv- an individual investor out there, maybe you're looking to retire, maybe you'd like uh, something as simple as a second opinion on your existing portfolio, or perhaps um, something more complicated like a, a full-blown retirement plan, we'd be happy to speak with you. You know, We're experts at these types of things, and... Uh, be great to get together and talk things over. Um, you can reach us at 206-923-3474 throughout the week. Feel free to ask for myself, I'm, I'm Ethan, or, or Ken. We'll be happy to speak with you. That sounds good. Yeah. Hey, then we uh, have our list of articles here. We like to just read through them. It's a large list Help certify us on what's going on. Other strategies that professionals are writing about, and we can dissect these articles and then uh, put our professional two cents in. Mm-hmm. So um, let's start with the tax stuff. Okay. As I, I think uh, you and I both agree, tax management is something that, regardless of what's going on around the financial markets, uh, managing your taxes effectively is certainly something that's controllable mm-hmm. and uh, can add significant value on it to your wealth. No doubt about it. The, the appropriate tax strategies. And so then it afforded me two articles, or us two articles, one uh, high-impact tax breaks and the other was doing well by giving it away. Yeah. And uh, why don't you choose? And we'll Yeah, let's start with the high-impact the high tax breaks. Okay. That would be the first thing I think we, we could cover. 
Um, you know, it is interesting. You know, a lot of it. Just to kind of frame frame this discussion. Um, it's a Wall Street Journal article. Yeah, uh, I, I would say that when talking to clients, um, you know, we talk about easily going over the investment returns. Right? We look at the portfolios every quarter, or how often we we get together and review things. And we, as an advisor, I, I'm very aware that that number on that par- that page is is always a a gross return. You know, it's before taxes have been considered. Mm-hmm. In other words. But in my in my own mind, and in, in in I think through in the mind of our clients as we're talking with them about the importance of taxes, we're we're really looking to maximize their after tax returns, right? Even though the numbers on the page don't don't, don't reflect that, right? So there are lots of planning opportunities that we engage our clients in to help maximize that, you know, help minimize the taxes and help maximize their after tax returns. Uh, some of the things mentioned in this article are are among the ideas that we incorporate, and there are others still yet that aren't even in the article, but. Um, I don't know. I just want to say that's very important to us, important to me as an advisor, and it's important, I'm sure, as our to our firm and the clients that we we work with to, to do that. So here's the article. Um, again, Ken said it was in the Wall Street Journal just recently, July 5th. It looks like, and it's entitled "High Impact Tax Breaks" by Laura Saunders, and uh, basically starts out like this. It says the year's half over, so it's time to make sure you're making the best moves for tax moves for 2013. Uh, she says people need to be proactive. And which I think is is definitely very true, you know, looking at that. Um, when a lot of times it's easy to kind of put the portfolio in motion and let things go. Um, it's easy to be proactive on the retirement side of things when you're deferring your 401k. But these moves that we're talking about require more, I think, steadfastness in, in um, understanding your exact situation and, and the tax rules that, that apply year to year. So anyhow, moving on here. Uh, that makes it all more the more important uh, to review Uncle Sam's highest tax impact breaks, such as donations of appreciated assets, tax-free exchanges, and capital loss harvesting. Um, unlike obvious moves, such as contributing to individual retirement accounts or 401ks, these strategies require a higher degree of awareness and active tax planning. You know, it's easy to write a check uh, to charity, but often, more often than not, it's better to give uh, highly appreciated stock that's risen in value as an alternative. Uh, is one of the suggestions here in the article, um, which is something I find very true. When we talk with folks, right, Ken, uh, people say, hey, I, I donate to charity, and I, I usually give cash. One of the very first things we talk about is, well, do you have monies in a, in a taxable account that, uh, in securities that I've appreciated over time? Nine times out of ten, Ethan, uh, in my experience, clients aren't, investors aren't fully utilizing this strategy they're giving, and they have charitable inclination but they don't. It just doesn't come to mind. Uh, you're, they're writing checks, right? And interestingly enough, um, these same investors over the years that we've met with w- will tend to have highly concentrated positions of securities that have a very low cost basis, and so it is a twofold benefit because we would much rather have cash, and we are not one of those advisors that just blows every everything out of an, a pre-existing portfolio that comes to us, mm-hmm. regardless of the tax consequences. We take a very thoughtful approach. We've got three CPA professionals as part of our firm. We have a very strong um, sensitivity to the tax impact um, while balancing the risk of the portfolio as well. And they're, they're two different issues that need to be need to be uh, worked through together. But many times there are those opportunities where they're giving cash away, but we're holding on to uh, low basis positions, even you know within a diversified portfolio. 
that we could use as a not only a text strategy but a an effective tool to rebalance to reduce portfolio risk mm-hmm. or increase expected return because if we can give away a, a highly uh, appreciated asset that is concentrated we're getting all the tax benefits but we're also then able to take the cash because we're reducing that position and now we have cash that we can redeploy towards rebalancing the portfolio and right. enhancing the remaining portfolio mm-hmm so it can be a very powerful tool. Right. And aside from not having to ever to sell the stock to give cash, you can just give security. So you're really saving the, the, the built-in gain there, tax on the built-in gain as well. Uh, so it's pretty pretty important. One one caution on that. Um, just yes, to, a ca- caution. <laughs> just to remind folks out there, you, you definitely want to make sure that you're, give, if you're going to give away assets, appreciated assets, uh, like stock, for example. Uh, you want to make sure that you've held it beyond 12 months. So it's long-term capital gains, not short-term capital gains. Excellent. The tax treatment is, is significantly less beneficial if it's the short-term capital gain variety. Um, so just be aware of that. So good point there. Um, moving on here. There was an example here, and it says here in the article, uh, in one case, an investor with $1 million of property in Brooklyn, New York, exchanged it for two, ups- <laughs> for two units in upstate New York and a third in Queens instead of selling it outright. Uh, this moved deferred about $225,000 of taxes, including state tax, plus state taxes, the article says. So that's an idea, too, where you have, you have an investment property, uh, you can do uh, an exchange for like-kind property and avoid paying the capital gains built into the property you currently own. In this, in this case, this gentleman was able to, to actually buy three separate properties, uh, which is pretty remarkable. Um, people are surprised how much they, the, the uh, new tax hikes will, tax hikes will take. So they're looking for alternatives. Um, let's see here. And then all the tax breaks are for the wealthy. Any homeowner can benefit from provisions allowing taxpayers to pocket tax-free income from renting a residence for as long as two weeks, and low tax bracket, tax bracket taxpayers can pay zero tax on long-term capital gains. And that's something I've been talking about over, over the last uh, several months, actually, um, looking at the zero long-term capital gains. Um, basically, for, for folks who are married filing jointly, if you're uh, taxable income is less than $72,500, you, you will pay zero long-term capital gains tax. So the article actually mentions a, a good example here. So let's say you have uh, income of taxable income of, of fifty grand in a particular year. Um, you actually can realize $22,500 of long-term capital gains and pay zero tax. Yeah, That's a great deal, I think. The, <laughs> the renting of your house for two weeks is an interesting one. Yeah. Um, would you would you move out of your house, Ethan? <laughs> and then where would you go? I'm not sure how that would work exactly. Okay. Or do you just kind of bunk up with people? <laughs> um, it's it, an interesting one. I mean, there's only so much I'll go to lengths I'll go to to reduce my tax burden. <laughs> I don't know that renting out part of my bedroom would be one of those. But if, right. if you're comfortable with that, sure. I guess it is a tax provision. It's possible. Um, I, just, I don't know how highly used that would be. I agree. Okay. Interesting. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management. 
inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back. Uh, apparently, we had some technical difficulties and uh, going into the break there. So I'm not, we're not exactly sure where we left off. But uh, Ethan, I thought we're, we're talking about the 2013, some tax strategies to mm-hmm. keep in the top of your mind. And certainly, if you are working with an advisor, hopefully they're keeping these issues in mind. And where we had, uh, I think, left off, Prior to the technical difficulties, we were talking about capital loss harvesting. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, I was just pointing out that um, through the downturn, we had been doing that all along with our client clients that we work with. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting now is that with the tax increase, uh, the increase in terms of potential capital gains tax um, and ordinary income tax rates, those carry forward so you could bank those losses and take 3000 a year right off of your ordinary income. The work we did back then, and if you were doing it as uh, on your own as an investor, the work you did in that case. Um, now, real quick here, Ethan, the, the goal is not to lose money. That's not what we're... <laughs> that's not the best that's tax true. strategy, but uh, we'll get to an article here by the, one of the, the Vanguard uh, economists, chief economists, talking about how great advisors were through this tough period. And how uh, not only if you did the investments the way we've been doing it, did you recover, but you actually have a positive return mm-hmm. from the peak of the pre-decline period to now. Um, well, the beauty of, of having a positive return, but also having a bank of losses, is when I, if you're in a higher bracket and capital, gain, capital gains rates are, are higher, it makes that bank of losses even more valuable than it was when we did it. Sure, yeah. Um, so, proceed on, Ethan. Yeah, just to make that super clear, if it, you were, we expected when we realized those losses to to save at least fifteen percent on any future gains. You know, the long term capital gains tax rates for for, for folks back then. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Now, for for folks, uh, some folks anyway, there's twenty percent capital gains tax. So you're you're saving the difference there, basically, in addition to. Um, uh, you know, realizing those losses and, and saving the 15%, you're getting more benefit from that now as well, which is a pretty good deal. Um, and I, I always like the example too. It isn't just doesn't just affect what's in the portfolio. This is a big deal, where you have 
AI can offset future portfolio gains. That's also true. But if you have, say, a, say you're a dentist or something, and you ultimately want to sell your practice, you go through the market downturn of 2008, 2009, and you're able to realize some portfolio losses, you know, capital losses in your portfolio, well, that can go, be used to offset future gains when you sell your future dental practice, as an example. You know, capital losses times. versus capital gains. So it's very, very useful, and it gives you more flexibility uh, overall, which is, again, one thing that you certainly like when you're tax planning. Something you need to be aware of within that is the wash sale rules. And right. uh, you you can't just sell the security and immediately buy it back and expect to be able to realize yeah, that true. loss. Mm-hmm. So you need to understand how those rules work, which you know, the very, very rough overview is you have 30 days um, either before or after you sell those shares, uh, that you need to make sure you don't you don't buy the shares back. So uh, right. if you had a hundred shares, you can't go in fifteen days before you sell your hundred and buy another hundred, and then sell your original hundred and recognize the loss. Right. Right. You also couldn't sell the hundred shares at a loss and within the thirty day period buy the, buy the same exact shares back. Now, what's unique about the way we invest, the structured asset class investing that we do, mm-hmm. is when we are engaging in this loss harvesting technique, we are investing in such broadly diversified investment classes that we can gain the exposure with very little tracking difference in those asset classes while maintaining the return potential. And so if it was any single stock and you were trying to engage in this it becomes more and more difficult to maintain the return exposure. You know, the you sell one individual stock for another, and that stock may not perfectly move in tandem. So what could happen is the stock that you sold goes up significantly after you <laughs> sold it. Right. The one that you bought, thinking it's a reasonable substitute, could actually go down. Well, that wouldn't really be the you, the tax benefit by rec- getting the loss. Yeah, would have been offset by the missed upside opportunity. No question. A lot of times, and if you were to take emerging markets as an example during the crisis, the emerging markets dropped substantially during that period, offering an opportunity mm-hmm. to swap out of those funds. But in order to get the 80 to 90% rebound in those emerging market asset classes we were invested in, in order to get that rebound, you needed to maintain exposure to the a, broad, a broadly diversified basket of stocks from emerging markets. So that would have been much harder to achieve if we were dealing with individual stocks out of those markets. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, let's say you, if you own McDonald's as an example, um, boy, Burger King really is a reasonable substitute in the real world, but for a stock, it could be two totally different things. You know, So you wouldn't want to necessarily do it that way. The more narrow the concentration, even an actively managed mutual fund, may be hard to replace. Mm-hmm. They might own 40 or 50 stocks or maybe even up closer to 100. It's still very difficult to track that perfectly. right? Sure. And the narrow, the narrower it is um, in terms of number of stocks and sectors and things, the more difficult it is to find a good substitute. Or when you're tracking broadly diversified asset classes like large company U.S. stocks as a group, you can find several viable substitutes that don't trigger this wash cell issue. Right. 
give us a call or talk to us about this, particularly if you're if you are someone who has got a sizable portfolio and um, you've got significant capital gains or losses. Um, before you do anything, we'd be happy to go over this and talk about it with you. Sure. Capital gain harvesting. Proceed on, Ethan. Yeah, we, we mentioned this already, the capital gains harvesting idea, um, where people who are in the 0 to 15% tax bracket right now don't pay long-term capital gains tax up to the top of the 15% bracket. And if you're married, married filing jointly, again, that's $72,500. I think the critical thing there is that is recognizing what taxable income actually is. Most folks go, well, gee, uh, you know, so 2005, maybe I, I earn more than that. Uh, even if I'm retired, you might, um, in terms of income, just from portfolio, Social Security, uh, pension perhaps. And that's probably true, but the thing is it's taxable income. So that means income after your deductions. So if you take your income minus whatever deductions you have, maybe you itemize your deductions and maybe um, you might have some you know, home interest deductions, that sort of thing. And then also your personal exemptions. So it, all those things lower your taxable income level, uh, making it more and more likely that you can structure your, your investments and so forth in a way that you might be able to realize that, that level of income and then get the tax-free capital gains in there. Uh, secondly, you also can utilize uh, municipal bonds as well to help lower your taxable income, income on the portfolio side, if you're anywhere close to that situation anyway. I think what's interesting, um, which she points out, is when you're, tax, when you're gain harvesting, mm-hmm. um, you don't have to, you can sell the security recognize the realize the gain and then immediately buy it back so yeah. you don't have wash sale rules ap- applied to a gain realization that's right situation you're not gonna wait any, any amount of time yeah that's pretty cool pretty good deal good times yeah uh we already talked about the like kind exchanges which is next on this list um which i think boy if you're in, in real estate and you have a low basis situation uh you're looking to make a, a change with your specific property can be a, a good idea um, so consider that as well. Here's the, the two-week home rental, Ken. I, I'm not sure. Um, let's see what she says about that. You know, real quick on the like-kind exchanges, I, I am a huge fan of diversification in my entire career. Doing this, the one conclusion that no matter how dynamic the market seems to be evolving, I can't... I can't come to any other conclusion than diversification is my friend. And diversification can add an enormous amount of benefit to your wealth strategy. So when it comes to like kind exchanging, what I've where I've seen potential mistakes in that is foregoing the opportunity to properly diversify simply to preserve the tax basis. Mm-hmm. Moving from one bad asset to another bad asset because or strategy or less than optimal strategy, um, and so you have. I w- I would just caution that um, simply because there's the ability to do it, I would look for strategies that enable you exchange into some diversified pool. And I've seen this before, um, and I forgot we had looked in, into that. We'll, we'll kind of I'll put it in my notes here for the next show. But there are, I believe, there are still. Uh, funds that you can exchange into that allow you to get access to a diversified pool of real estate. Do you remember when we looked into this several years ago? It's um, not, not ringing a bell. At it, it hasn't been the issue because real estate is doing done so poorly yeah. in the last couple of years. Yeah. There's not been a, a, a huge need to look into this. <laughs> right. But uh, when the real estate was booming, uh, particularly individual you know, 
apartments and things people were buying. Yeah. Uh, we were looking at all these like-kind exchanges into diversified pools. And I'd much rather, if, if somebody just wanted to get out of a particular property for whatever the reason is, and it was more about getting out of it than getting into something that presented a great opportunity, mm-hmm. I would much rather, I would, I would rather see you as our listener or our client get into something that is diversified as, as possible. Sure. So it's worth looking into, and, and I will put that on my uh, task list here for next week. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Okay. How much time do we have here, Simon? A little discombobulated. <laughs> All right. Well, let's take a look at the two-week home rentals. How about that? Uh, continuing on in the article, it says here, uh, the income from renting a residence for less than 15 days is tax-free. Well, there you have it. I didn't realize that. And it doesn't have to be reported on your tax return. This is a boon for people living near the site of the Super Bowl, for example, or other major sporting events. That's how it works. I see. Um, it also you have works to for- live next to the Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, it also works for uh, owners of second homes who want to rent short-term. Uh, the tax-free perk is often called the master's provision because homeowners use it during <laughs> the famed golf tournament in Augusta, Georgia. I see. Well, so it's not, not a broad application probably for that. Um, you know, here we have the in the Seattle and we have the uh, the Mariners. Uh, they're probably not going to make it to the, the World Series. And Although maybe next year for the uh, the Seahawks, but they don't, you don't have the Super Bowl in the hometown. So that's not going to help us here locally, but it, it is an idea. Well, I like that with the second with the second home situation. Um, yeah, particularly you're not. It, it didn't make a lot of sense to me just renting out your home while you're there. Yeah, that would be weird um, for you to rent my my home. I think. Yeah, no, well, just kidding. If we, if we get a Super Bowl, maybe. <laughs> you're in. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I can see that. Fifteen days tax free. That sounds pretty good. I, I like that idea. Okay. All right. Um, let's look at this. Did we already talk about the charitable nations of appreciated assets? I think we, we basically did that already as yeah. well. Uh, here's what I like. Here's the charitable IRA rollover. Now, this Ooh, is interesting. This sounds interesting. So let's say, for example, you're, you're uh, 70 and a half or older, and you're charitably inclined, and maybe you don't have uh, taxable assets, money in a taxable account that you want to give away. You don't have cash that you want to give away, but you do have a large IRA account, for example. Well, there's a provision in the IRS code that allows you to donate up to $100,000 of money directly from your IRA to a charity, to a qualified charity. Yeah, that's right. It's quite amazing. And not realize any of it for income purposes. Furthermore, it can also be used to satisfy your required minimum distributions, which is nice. So if you have a large IRA account, maybe your required minimum uh, distribution at, say, you're age 71 or something is $40,000. Normally, you'd have to take that money out of your, your IRA account, pay tax on Talk it, to me. and then put it in your account or spend the money if you want to. Here, the whole 40000 bucks, disregarding any taxes at all from the charity or yourself, can go right to the benefit of the charity that you, you've selected. Um, so that's kind of a neat, neat feature that's allowed by the IRS code. So if you're a, re, uh, say you're a pretty high-income earning individual, even though you're in the 70 and a half category here, um, and you're donating to charities anyway. Right. Um, the beauty of this, rather than making the donation and getting the deduction for the donation, is you can count it towards your required minimum distribution. Exactly right. And um, and, the, and what else? It doesn't count as income either. Okay. So it doesn't count as income to you or the charity, so you pay no tax on it. Um, uh, so that's kind of that's the main the main thing, I think. Uh, so for folks who are charitably inclined, and you know, 
like the idea of, hey, I don't need the money in my IRA account. I'd like to have it go to charity. Maybe when I pass away, it's already there as beneficiary. So why not have it go directly while you're alive, too? If you, yeah, if you that's want pretty to. good. Yeah, it's pretty interesting, I think. I like the idea anyway. That's it's sure. a pool of money that you might otherwise not think was readily accessible for that, I guess, that would qualify for your RMD. And that's pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the home. I might have tuned out the home sale benefit. Did you talk about that, no. like what the exclusion is on that? I did not. Oh, okay. Well, that, I think that's something that would affect most people. Oh, yeah. Let's take a look at that. Just real quick. All right. Um, as often as every two years, you can sell your primary residence. Mm-hmm. So, again, this can't be a second home, but your the primary residence. Uh, and the profit up to $500,000 for a married couple or 250000 for single uh, would be tax-free. And so I think that's a huge um, tax break in terms of capital gains. Sure. Tax. Um, surviving spouse would get the full $500,000 break up to two years after the spouse's death. Mm-hmm. Um, because the profit doesn't include the purchase price or improvements, most home sales in most areas will be tax-free. Right. That's a big deal, I think, for retirees, too, who... Um you know, maybe they've lived in their, their home for quite some time, many, many years, but sometimes decades, right? Um, and they're making a, a change later in life. Boy, they're sometimes concerned about, well, I have all this money built up, equity built up in my home. I don't want to pay taxes. That's a good way to relieve a lot of that. You know, $500,000 of tax-free growth there is pretty nice. That is nice. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Ken. Okay, proceed on. All right. Oh, you know what, Ethan? I think we're going to have to take a quick break. Let's do that, and then we'll pick up on more tax strategies to uh, help you in 2013. We'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at EMPIRadio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back. Empirical Investing Radio. Your co-host here, Ethan Broga, alongside uh, Ken Smith. 
just talking about some uh, tax-saving tips for the year, uh, reviewing an article again in the Wall Street Journal by Laura Saunders uh, from July 5th, 2013, uh, called High Impact Tax Breaks. And uh, Ken, during the break here, we're just talking about uh, a pretty pretty good one, which was the Solo Defined Benefit Pension Plan. Um, in essence, the, the strategy is if you're self-employed, you know, maybe you're uh, you own your own company, or maybe you're an independent contractor, or something to that effect. You can ultimately d- defer more monies uh, in a defined benefit <laughs> defined benefit plan rather than a defined contribution plan. And in some cases, you can do both. So you could have your own, say, say for example, single four hundred one k. We're all familiar with how that that operates. You put money in there before uh, before taxes are taken out. Similarly, with a solo defined benefit plan, but it allows you to put in sometimes tens of thousands of dollars more. Uh, into a tax-sheltered environment, um, especially useful as you approach retirement. Uh, so if you're, you know, say, five years away from retirement and making a sizable amount of income, you generally can shelter, uh, as the article says here, tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it could be quite substantial, actually. It definitely could be. Push you down now into a, a lower marginal bracket, and hopefully when you, I mean, the general idea with pre-tax strategies is that when you're later pulling them out, you can pull it out at an average tax rate that's lower. Right, so you have some control yeah. over that. Yeah, and especially useful for uh, for folks who are approaching retirement. If you're younger, maybe not as valuable. Uh, but if you're older, maybe 55-plus in that range perhaps, uh, you'll definitely find it a pretty interesting thing to look at. The drawback primarily is, though, even at that, at that time, is the cost. It's more expensive than other types of more common um, deferred type of compensation plans. Something to keep uh, keep in mind, though, could be very valuable. Uh, Ken, the next one is the five two nine plan. I know you like the five two nine plans quite a bit. We talked about this uh, a little bit last show as well. Um, so these are real, very popular college saving tools, uh, basically. Um, There's no immediate tax deduction for utilizing the five two nine. So right. A little different than some of the other strategies that are you're immediately getting a tax, some sort of a tax advantage on. But the potential uh, tax-free growth accumulation when you withdraw it is where the benefit comes in on the 529 plan. And uh, it has those unique features that we did talk about previously. But in summary, it's something where you list a beneficiary. If the child, for example, doesn't use it for school, you can simply change the beneficiary to a different child or family member. And as long as it's used for the qualified tuition or qualified, I'm sorry, expenses, mm-hmm. uh, it would continue to come out tax-free. It has an interesting, uh, it's 14000 is the tax-free gift um, each person can make to another. Mm-hmm. You can bunch those up and do five years' worth all at one time to fund a um, 529, and she points in the article that, President Barack Obama and his wife Michelle used this as an approach. So, yeah, it's pretty neat. Um, the other cool part about the 529 is it gets it while you retain the right to change the beneficiary or remove the money, which I was saying is quite unique, um, you get the assets out of your estate. So, you know, she talks about for owners such as grandparents who don't want to owe estate taxes but also where they might have unexpected costs. Um, the 529's contributions remove assets from an estate so the giver can take back, uh, but the giver can take back account assets if the money is needed. 
So there would be yeah, then cool. the tax and a penalty, but it is unique in that it removes it from your estate while you still have the ability to get it back if you need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the next one here is the annual gifts of 14000 which we kind of already alluded to, but uh, the law allows any taxpayer to give anyone else, uh, a neighbor, a friend, relative, me or Ken, up to $14,000 a year without owing federal gift tax. Okay, we can't accept gifts. Just kidding around a little bit about that. But anyway. Uh, well, we can if they're not clients, I think. Oh, I guess. Oh, I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. That's good stuff. Above that, the gift, anything above the $14,000 annual limit would be subtracted from the individual's lifetime gift and estate tax exemption, which is currently $5.25 million. Um, so that's how that would work. Normally, that's why you want to give the gifts at the exemption level or below, not above. So you don't have to file a gift tax return and, and have it reduce your lifetime lifetime gifts, or at death, rather. Further, the gifts uh, remove assets from the giver's estate, and obviously the total can add up over time. A husband and wife with three married children and six grandchildren, for example, could shift $336,000 a year to family members using this benefit. So it's a pretty big deal if you've got a large estate. Mm-hmm. Um, other neat thing about this is that the provision can be used to move assets other than cash, so such as fractional shares of a business, for example. Um, but, of course, this gets more complicated. And you probably should seek expert advice on that. Good point. Very good point. <laughs> I, I can't argue with any of that. All right. You know, uh, you want to skip the last two and hit the last one? How about that? If that, if that's, uh, you don't think those other two are important? Well, they're, they're less interesting, I think. All right. Let's do this. Maybe the uh, the state tax exemptions portability rules. Now, this is something I think we've talked about before, actually, on the show. But um, in the past, up until just recently, it was up to each person to utilize their federal exemption. Um, but now, if you're married, the, the, the federal exemption for each spouse is portable. So let's say, for example, in my situation, if I'm married um, and I, I pass away and my state, doc, state plan doesn't call for me using my federal exemption, well, normally that would be in the past. That would just mean it goes away. But now, because of the new rules, my wife then would get not only her federal exemption, but my federal exemption to use at her, at her death as well. So that's, kinda, that's how they do it over in, in, in the UK. I learned a little bit a little while ago, but now they've adopted that same rule here, which I think is, is very nice. Makes it easy to... Uh, I think that is very nice, Ethan. Do planning. I, I, I do. Um, you know, I was just... I do think the, a couple of these, these other items are interesting. All right, um, go ahead. Since you have it. Which is, you know, we were talking about the gifts, but there's, they point out, gifts of tuition or medical care don't apply towards the gift limit. I think that is important to know that if you're talking about these kids where you where you have a large enough estate where you want to gift gift or get money out of it, beyond that fourteen thousand a year you'd be kinda of limited, right? In how you could do that. Sure. Without getting involved in now some legal work. Yeah. And and some uh, you know interesting things. But you could pay for tuition, and that there is no federal tax gift tax limit on that doesn't count towards that. Um, same thing with medical care, which I thought is interesting. And so she's pointing out, given that medical and education costs are higher, and growing fast, sure, um, this would be one way to, in effect, I think, gift, yeah, without with and circumventing the fourteen thousand dollar limit altogether. That would still be available. The the main thing to remember in that situation is that it has to go directly to the provider. You have to write the tuition check or the medical expense check to the provider. Exactly. And the step up at death, um, so you don't, under still under the current law, I think that connects to the estate issue. Mm-hmm. Um, taxpayers who, who don't 
don't owe capital gains on assets held at death. Instead, the assets are stepped up to their current value and become part of the taxpayer's estate with no income tax due on the profits. The upshot for people um, planning a state should look carefully at their gains in various assets. So I think where we use that, a you know, couple of things that we look at when we do that is if we are tax loss harvesting, one of the things that that tends to do is put you in a position. So, so going back into the downturn here in 2009, mm-hmm. if you've been tax loss harvesting that emerging market asset class, now it hasn't, emerging markets hasn't done extremely well here in the last year. But overall, from the bottom of the market to now, it was quite a rebound, right? Yes. So once you've done that tax loss harvesting, if you do, if it works the way you'd like it to, which is, hey, then the market comes back, mm-hmm. now you are you do have a very low basis in those positions. And um, this idea of being able to get the step up upon death is pretty interesting because you were able to bank the tax losses, which my understanding when interviewing Lauren about this, I was one of our tax experts here, is that you don't lose, the surviving spouse doesn't lose that capital loss carry forward, um, but you get the complete step up in the basis. Oh, yeah, right. So it's something to consider as you're thinking about all of this as you like to say, it's the coordination of everything that really brings the magic to this. These, right. Any one of these strategies in isolation might be good, but not if you're not thinking about the whole picture and yeah. the timing of where you are. So, you know, selling low basis stock in different types of situations or gifting it charity, whatever, all of it would be relative to well, where are we at? How old is this person? What What's going on? Mm-hmm. Um you had some, yeah. I, yeah. I, you you hit on it exactly. Um, I recall specifically an example with an existing client of ours that um, has a, a pretty high equity allocation in their portfolio. And through the crisis, we did just exactly as you described. We we tax loss harvested all numerous asset classes, but in specifically emerging markets. And I remember doing that on or on or around <laughs> uh, near the bottom of the market. Uh, and I I, re- I remember I remember that because uh, in the future we actually end up giving some of that money away to charity. In the form of securities. Mm-hmm. So, if we owned the, the Vanguard ETF for emerging markets, as an example, we, maybe we sold it on um, March 10th or something, uh, March or, or so uh, of 2009, right near the bottom of the market. Since then, it's appreciated substantially, and over the years, obviously, and because that that tended to uh, rebound more quickly than a lot of other asset classes during the same period, that was the one that was furthest out of balance from the portfolio. So we ended up giving that one to charities yeah, over the last that two makes years. Sense. For 2011 and 2012, actually. Substantial amounts. It's a good strategy. So we were able to tax less harvest on the way down, and then, again, be the person being charitably inclined. Um, that was the most efficient use of, of the positions in the portfolio. Well, in conjunction here with the balance of our time in this segment, Ethan, uh, in conjunction with the tax topic, the other related article here that that uh, we have is doing well by giving it away, which again it continues the tax discussion. Um, and the idea here being that uh, you know she by Kelly Green she she says uh, if you're looking to, for a way to ease the impact of the new 3.8 percent tax on investment income, and again you're charitably inclined anyway, um, knowing that how how would you structure that? And so she said. Uh, 
this took effect in 2010, but the health care overhaul applies to the new net investment income of most individuals with more than 200000 in adjusted gross income and married couples filing joint returns with over $250,000. Uh, only investment income, including dividends, interest, and capital gains above those thresholds is taxed. The 3.8% rate comes on top of other taxes owed. So, congressional researchers and a number of think tanks estimate 3.5 million families could get hit with this additional levy this year, with the number expected to double to seven within a decade, seven million people. So, to get around this tax uh, situation, you could set up a charitable remainder trust with an asset that has escalated in value, such as a vacation home or highly appreciated stock or artwork, receive and then receive back annual payments. Whatever is left when you die goes into the nonprofit uh, group of your choice. Um, so once the property is put into the trust, then you can sell it without triggering the 3.8% tax and no regular income tax for the sale either. Hmm. So I don't know if you want to come familiar with these, Ethan. A little bit, yeah. We actually, have, been, we actually have a client yeah. uh, who, um, I don't know, probably eight years ago or so, sold their... Uh, their, not a trailer park, but uh, an RV park, basically, where you rent space out for extended periods of time. And they bought it quite a long time ago, and her husband, some like 20, 20 30 years ago. And, uh, well, hey, we'll finish that part up as we... Okay, well, I think we have to take a quick break. Hold that thought on All this right. RV park situation. And we'll be right back on Empirical Investing Radio in just a few minutes. business you'll find the experts here voice america business network are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm my name is simon Liu, portfolio manager with empirical wealth management inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307 that's 1-800-923-4307 or visit our website at empiricalfs.com that's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S dot com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back. Uh, Empirical Investing Radio, your host here, Ethan Broba, alongside Ken Smith. Uh, basically, we're dedicating today to, to tax talk. And uh, right before the break, we were just covering uh, uh, a new article, again, from the Wall Street Journal by Kelly Green, entitled, 
doing well by giving it away. And I was just giving the example of uh, a client of ours uh, who who owns uh, or used to own rather um, an RV park or, or trailer park. Um, bought it in the seventies with her husband. Uh, he later passed away, and she ended up selling it uh, in the early two thousands for quite a substantial profit. Um, and rather than um, realizing the, the taxes all at one time and, and, and doing all that, she put it into this charitable remainder trust first uh, to, to make the transaction. And then from there, she basically draws out a, an annual amount from the trust uh, as it grows and produces income. She takes an annual amount, I think it's something like 5% of the account balance at the year end. And then, but at her death, then it goes to this the charity. In her case, it's a, a local school here. So a pretty unique tool to to minimize not only um, you know the the tax a uh, capital gains tax but also in this case the additional tax three point eight percent that would apply basically on the entire thing that'd be quite a bit of savings over over the years obviously anything else you're gleaning from this Ken this particular article that you wanted to mention I, I think the important thing here again is that you're willing to make the charitable um, donation if you're not philanthropically inclined it's probably not a great Strategy to avoid the three point eight percent because you are giving something up. No, sure. Um, I mean, you're you're exchanging the lifetime income for the remainder going to the charity, right? Yeah, that's, that's it. The idea behind it. So um, you may not fully extract the value of that, right? Right. Prior to and so um, if you if you had other inclinations to give it to kids or you know, that type of thing, it may not be the best strategy. But if you were going to give it to charity anyway, right. rather than wait for that for you to pass to give it, you get the income and you can get some of the tax benefits along the way. Right. Um, there are other things like a charitable gift annuity that you could consider if you have less money because there are some costs with setting these things up. Um, yeah, and also in this case, uh, it's a... Uh there's an annual tax return that has to be prepared for this as well. So there's more tax work in go- involved in doing this uh, this type of a donation. Um, so it definitely is more, you know, costs money and it isn't uh, extremely easy to do. In other words, it takes some some involvement from a tax professional to make sure it works out year to year, actually. So that means increased costs in tax return preparation and so forth. But if it's a substantial asset uh, and you're, like you said, charitable inclined anyway, it uh, could make some good sense. Definitely. All right, Ethan, well, we've got some time here. Let's, uh, I wouldn't mind, I saw this headline about the new wave of IPOs. Yeah, So right. while we're, while, you know, we can get through as much of this as we can, but I think it's interesting because anytime the market starts to do well for a little while, um, we have to be careful not to get too greedy and let that greed factor start controlling our investment decision process. Mm-hmm. People lose patience very, very quickly. Emerging markets, for example, we've been talking about that a lot. Um, well, geez, they haven't done very well, up about 3.5% year for the last 12 months. Maybe why would I ever have that when every other asset class here I'm looking at on the, our weekly sheet is up 20% plus for the last 12 months, right? Yeah. Um, so it's very easy to become impatient and uh, start to divert from your well-thought-out prudent diversification strategy into things that that appear to generate or offer a higher return, and I call that chasing returns. But um, a little article here about uh, lots of IPOs to pick from by this, uh, again, in, in the Wall Street Journal, the new wave of IPOs. 
Um, initial public offerings are back in vogue, and here's why investors should be wary. The U.S. In- IPO market is on track to produce the most deals since the year 2007. Wow. In the second quarter, 80 companies began the process of registering for an IPO in the U.S., more than double the number that did so the same period just a year ago. The publicly available IPO pipeline includes 140 companies seeking to raise a total of $30.5 billion. That is in the on the top of the of the 95 companies that already that is on top of the 95 that have already debuted this year, which have raised 23 billion. Some of the best performing IPOs this year have been those of familiar companies such as SeaWorld Entertainment. Did you know they IPO'd? I did not know that. Yeah, did not know that. Whose shares are up a whopping 42 percent since April? Okay. Restaurant chain Noodles and Company. I know you like a good noodle, which has jumped 139% from its June IPO. Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings, they're up 66% from its January deal. Hmm. By comparison, the S&P 500 is up 18% so far this year. So that could be very tempting when you see those types of headlines. You see these companies, and I think because they tend to get more attention when, when things do start turning and things are good. Um, that it can attract an investor away from a well, you know, like I said, a well diversified approach, and say, "Hey, maybe I need to get some of that that Sea World, right? Exactly, <laughs> uh, or that Norwegian cruise." Yeah, there have been duds too. GoGo, which provides internet services on airplanes and online ad network, Tremor Video are down eighteen and twenty percent respectively. Mm-hmm. All this shows how easy it is to be dazzled by IPOs and burned by them. Some deliver eye-popping short-term returns and can over time expand from small companies into very big ones, such as Microsoft or Apple did in the 1980s. Between 1980 and 2011, the average pop of an IPO from its offering price to where it closed on its first trading day was 18%, according to Jay Ritter, a finance professor at the University of Florida, who studied IPO, the IPO market for 30 years. There are more big names in the pipeline this year. Department store Neiman Marcus, coupon website Retail Me Not, and retailers, uh, retailer Claire's. Something I think you might be interested in, Ethan. Many of these IPOs are likely to garner attention from small investors, including those who are excited about and then disappointed by Facebook, Facebook's botched 2012 debut and who may be looking for the right moment to get back in the game. I haven't heard of this one. What is this? <laughs> Just kidding. I know you're on there most of the work day. <laughs> so I knew that's a lie. Oh, that's funny. Funny. funny face, uh, the Facebook IPO reminded investors who might have forgotten the lessons of the dot-com boom Early expectations can lead to disappointments. For one thing, the market is still nothing like the tech bubble of the late 1990s. For example, in 1999, 112 U.S. company IPOs doubled in price on their first day of trading, according to Mr. Ritter, excluding stocks with initial prices below $5. Since 2011, only three social social network LinkedIn, software developers Splunk, and Noodles & Company have doubled on the first day. I think one thing to be uh, aware of is when what the trading price is that you can actually buy in as a um, in the public market versus what it 
the IPO was versus what it opens at. So right. if it's doubled on the first day, let's say the IPO was ten dollars share, but really the it opened and started trading immediately at twenty. That's a little misleading if you don't understand exactly. You, you wouldn't have been able to get it right at ten unless you were in the IPO, right. and not everybody can get the IPO shares. Yeah, well, most people can't. Right. Right. But the studies I have seen, the empirical data on it over the long term, and it'd be interesting to see if Mr. Ritter has that, uh, is that when you get out a period of time, I think it was 12 months, from the IPO date, that IPOs in general don't outperform this general stock market. But that has not been the case. Right. But a lot of times, because we typically don't focus on individual stocks because of the concentration there, you may be exposing yourself to more more uh, concentration risk of one stock than you normally would simply because you think there's more return to be had there. Yeah. I think people's impression of IPOs is that they generally are successful. But it, you know, in terms of ones that are wildly successful, well, they named them here in the article, right? Microsoft and, and Apple. Well, those are the ones that we remember because they're obviously huge and they did make it. But for every one of those, there's probably thousands that didn't make it at all that we have no recollection of. Making the odds very, very low that you'll you'll participate and become a multimillionaire by doing IPOs. Right. The you I was just reading the the bulk of these IPO shares go to um concentrated group of advisors who frequently participate in new offerings. So they're very difficult to just get into. Sure. Um even assuming that there was the investment uh opportunity there. Well then we're not gonna be able to go through the um the the whole article here, so maybe we can talk a little bit more about it this week. Okay. Just a caution about how you approach that. Thanks for tuning in this week on Empirical Investing Radio. We'll be back uh, next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific time. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week.